Today's scripture comes from Romans 12.1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is the reading of God's word. Amen. I'm sure Brian was happy when he saw it was one verse today. Uh, let, me, let me pray for us. Father, we, we thank you and we praise you. We've been singing songs of praise, uh, just declaring how good you are, how faithful you are. And Father, we, we know these things and we just pray today that as we delve into your word, as we just really meditate upon uh, the message you have for us, that you would just encourage us, you would convict us, you would move in our hearts, stir in our hearts, that we may truly give you the glory, give you the praise, that we may put our trust in you and truly just magnify your name. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today we're in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, and a very famous verse. Uh, as I, before I go into the passage, just was, just, I was reminded of something. Uh, I remember one, one year I was doing, uh, I was leading an inner city mission trip in like, North Philadelphia, and I had a, had a pair of sneakers, and I, I forget what happened, but they got messed up, and I, I couldn't wear them anymore. And, you know, we had work to do, so I was trying to figure out what do I do, where do I go to get a pair. And one of the guys that we were working with in Philly, he says to me, I got you. I got an extra pair of sneakers in the car. You know, they're not that great, but you, you, could, you could just keep them. I was like, all right, thanks. And I go into his car, and he takes out a pair of Jordans. And they're like in, they're in good shape. <laughs> and so I was like, I can't take that, man. <laughs> He's like, no, 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 like, I don't even like these, you know, making all these, I mean, I think they were lies, but all these excuses about why I should take them. So after a while, I just said, all right, I'll take them. You know, and, and I remember I wore them well for a while, but I remember just, you know, just being touched. You know, he wasn't somebody I knew all that well, per se, and just the fact that he was just going to sacrifice something that obviously, you know, I think was, you know, important to him for someone just because I was in need. You know, I was in need of a pair of sneakers, and I say that to say, you know, the word sacrifice is something that we're probably familiar with. But when we look at this passage today, I think it's, it's very important because we are called to be a living sacrifice. And we'll get into what that means. But the reason we're called to be a living sacrifice is because if we are God's people, we know about an even greater sacrifice. Not a living sacrifice, but truly a a sacrifice that led to death, a sacrifice that changed everything for us. And so today I want to really just think about what it means to be a living sacrifice and what it means to um, want to be a living sacrifice. But before we get in, you know, deeper into the passage, a couple of things I did want to say here off the start is, you know, the book of Romans is a very special book. Uh, if you look at the New Testament, you have these letters that Paul writes to people that he knows very well. And so, you know, they're very you know, the people that he loves, and there's these messages, and they're, you know, they're great. But the book of Romans is a little different because he doesn't really know them. Right? This is not a church that he had a relationship with, not a church that he necessarily planted himself. And so if you look at the book of Romans, it's long. There's 16 chapters, but also it is packed with theology. It is just packed with theology, and I think it's a great gift to the church today because we just learn so much is going through the book of Romans because he is unpacking a lot of important things. Why? Because these are not people that he had taught, not people that, you know, he wasn't adding on, right? He's really trying to break it all down for them. And so we are blessed with that. 
But the thing that I want to really say here is, this passage says, I appeal to you, therefore, and that word therefore is very important because what he's saying here is, chapters 1 through 11, I've been talking about the gospel, I've been talking about grace, I've been just packing in just this great theology, and now he's saying, therefore, as you think about, I mean, I guess they didn't have chapters back then, right? But as you think about everything that I've written so far, everything that I've shared with you, I want you to apply it. This is really the application. Chapter 12 is a turning point. Not to say that the first 11 chapters, you can't apply it. They're very practical still. But he is here now in a very constant way, purposely trying to apply the stuff that he's been talking about for the past 11 chapters. And here's the turning point where he says, therefore, and Romans 12, 1, 2, and obviously following, he just goes into this great way of really applying the great theology that we know that he has been teaching. And so today, as we think about this passage, just think about what he has to say, what really the Lord has to say to us, there's three points that I want to make today, and it's just commitment, motivation, worship. Commitment, motivation, worship. And let me start with commitment. If you look at the verse, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The commitment part here really is in the middle where he says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, think about those words for a second. What is a sacrifice? It's something that you kill, right? Because in the Old Testament, when you thought of sacrifices, what do people do? They would sin. And the penalty for sin is death, so they would bring an animal, right? Commonly, for example, a sheep, they would bring the animal to the temple. And what would happen? The animal would be brought to the priest. The priest would kill the animal. And the idea was that symbolically, my sins were being transferred to this animal, right? Not literally, but symbolically. And so then, the death that I deserve, the animal, the sheep, for example, was going to die the death that I deserve, right? And then the blood obviously would be sprinkled on the altar, animal would be burned, and the idea was that, you know, now the sacrifice was done. I can go back home, and obviously I will come back later to do this again because I continue on sinning, but the idea of a sacrifice was something that you killed, right? And typically because of your sins, right? It could be also for other things, but it's a sacrifice atonement commonly, and so you kill an animal, it is dead. Now, when you say to be a living sacrifice, it's weird. It's saying a living killing. It's, it's oxymoronic. It doesn't make sense. So then why does Paul use this language? Why does he say that I want you to be a living sacrifice, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God? And obviously, he does mean that he wants you to die. But what does that mean? Not not physically die, but he's saying, I want you to die to the notion that it's all about me. We tend to think, what is my life about? My life is about me. I will do what I want to do. I will choose everything that I choose. It's all up to me. What I desire, what I want, my goals, my purposes, it is all about me. I choose. 
my autonomy, my independence, me, me, me. And Paul is saying, no, you need to die to that mindset. You need to die to that mindset of saying it's all about me, because why? It's all about God, right? You have to be a living sacrifice, not literally die, but die to your selfishness, die to your pride, die to that part of you that says, I choose my autonomy, my decisions. You know, I remember somebody once telling me, he said, when you get married, he said, it's not about you anymore. He said, I think what I heard was, pretty much when you get married, you should just go to the mirror every morning, look at yourself and say, it's not about you. Now go make your wife happy. Uh, and, you know, I don't do that, but I think it's good advice because obviously, you know, for marriage to work, I think both spouses have to be reminded, it's not about me. I want to really, you know, love my spouse and obviously my kids and ultimately, I want to love the Lord. And so one of the things I try to practice is I look, try to look at myself in the mirror and say, it's not about you, it's about God. Uh, but even that I forget to do a lot of times, but that is the idea. I remember one time I was at a conference and, you know, one of the speakers was, you know, a famous author, theologian named Jerry Bridges. You know, he wrote, wrote some great books. And he was talking about this passage, and he was kind of passing by it, and he said something that really stuck with me. He said, when you think about this living sacrifice idea, so you got to think about the burnt offering in the Old Testament, the whole burnt offering. And he was saying that what you did with the burnt offering was, you know, instead of some of the other sacrifices, you would actually burn the whole animal. Well, not part of the animal, but you would burn the whole animal, and you would burn it all day long. And so he said the idea was this. This burnt offering is supposed to be a sacrifice of atonement, but also dedication. He said the idea is you burn the whole animal, but you're saying my whole, everything, all of me is being dedicated to God, and you burn it all day long because you continuously give it to God. So what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? It means all of me. Right? He says to present your bodies, not just your soul, not just your heart, not just your thoughts, but pretty much everything you have. He's saying give it to God all day, every day. Uh, give another way. And it, actually, I remember Jerry Bridges gave another example that helped me as well. He said think of it this way. Let's say a father has a car. And the father, let's say he lends his car to his son. So now the son is driving the car. But the thing about it is the son doesn't feel ownership over the car. The son is just borrowing it. So both legally but also emotionally, you're just borrowing a car. You're just driving it. You don't think much of it. So That's very different from if the father says to the son, I'm going to give you my car. I'm going to you know, sign the title over to you, and it will be legally yours, but also now it will be emotionally yours. And the idea was this. A lot of times... I think we think of lending our lives to God, right? We think, I'm going to lend my life to God on a Sunday. I'm going to worship him for a couple of hours, do some fellowship, do some prayer. But then the rest of the week, it's mine, right? It's my life. I'm going to do it my way. And then maybe I want to dedicate a season, right? I'm going to go on a, a mission trip, right? a short-term mission trip. And so for two weeks or maybe three weeks or one week, God, it's all you. I'm going I'm to lend it to you, right? It's all about you. But then when I come back from that trip, right, it's, it's mine again. And he'll say, no. The Christian life is not you're lending it to God. You're signing that title over. You're saying, Lord, it's not my life anymore. I am signing it over to you. I am giving it to you because my life is no longer 
my life, it's yours. Now, legally, that's already happened, right? Jesus bought us with the sacrifice on the cross, with his blood, but he wants our hearts. He wants our affections. He wants us to willingly say, Lord, I want to give you my life. That is why, if you look at the passage, Paul says, I appeal to you. But the NIV, I think, translates that, I urge you by God's mercy, mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. See, it's surprising because some commentators will say this, that you would think Paul's an apostle, that he would command it, that he would say, give, offer, present, command it in an imperative and say, you got to give your life to God because he could. We do need to give our lives to God as a living sacrifice. But instead, he appeals, he urges, and really the word here, appeal, it's really more, it's kind of an emotional thing. It's, you know, it's telling us to really willingly give our lives to God. So what is he saying? He's saying, I want you to offer it, to voluntarily present your life to God and say, Lord, I want to give my whole life. Not part of it, but I don't want to lend it, but I want to give all of my life to you, right? Because it is all about you. So that's the commitment, right? Commitment, first point. But the second point, well, then what is the motivation? Because, let's be honest, that is hard. That is so hard. You know, even in human relationships, right? You know, when, for example, if you're married and you say, I want to make my spouse happy, I want to bless him, I want to bless her, it's all about you, we might say that, but to live like that, difficult. Then you have kids, and as a parent, you think, I'm going to love my kids, I'm going to give you everything, right? I don't want to, it's not about me, it's all about my kids. You might think that, but again, we're selfish, it's hard, right? We might say, I want to be a good son, I want to be a good daughter, it's all about my parents, I want to bless them. Again, it's hard to think like that in our human relationships, and even with the Lord, to say, God, I'm going to be a living sacrifice. It is all about you. I might sing the songs. I might pray that prayer. Or I might make the commitment. But to actually live it, to do it, it is extremely difficult. So how do I even make that commitment and live it out? What is the motivation? First point is commitment. Second point is motivation. And the motivation, and Paul says it, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He's saying the commitment is to be a living sacrifice, to live for God. Not, it's not about you, it's about him, but the motivation is the gospel. It is the grace of God. It is the mercies of God. It is knowing what God has done for you. It is knowing, meditating, right? Just really being immersed in the grace of God, in the mercies of God. He's saying that is the motivation. The motivation is not fear. Sometimes people say, oh, i got to do good things for God, or I'm going to go to hell, or you know, I'm going to do good things for God, or God is going to punish me somehow. It's not fear is not the motivator. It's not obviously you know, wanting to get rewarded, saying, God, oh, if I do these good things, God's going to bless me with good health or money. That is not the motivation. right? The motivation is the mercies of God. It is realizing as we look to the cross what Christ has done for us. Think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul right, was a persecutor of the church. He was, his name was Saul, 
right? He was a Pharisee, and he, you know, he prided himself because he thought he was doing God's will by persecuting the church. He was there when the first martyr, when Stephen was killed. He was there giving approval, and he was persecuting people in Jerusalem, and he was going you know, all over the place trying to persecute, and what happens? Jesus comes into his life. He completely transforms his life, and he realizes, me, I am the worst of sinners, and yet God came into my life. Jesus died for a sinner like me. He went to the cross for a sinner like me. He died the death that I deserve for someone like me. And so what happens? He now wants to live his life for the glory of God. It's all about you. And that's the same thing with us. What is my motivation to be a living sacrifice? It's knowing I am a sinner saved by grace. It is knowing that I am destined for condemnation, for hell, that Christ came into this world for a sinner like me, for us, that he went to the cross. We think of Gethsemane, right? We think of Jesus at Gethsemane where he's, he's, he's sweating blood. We see him praying to his own father, saying, Father, if possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, your will be done. Right? The love that he has for us, he says, your will be done. We see Jesus going to the cross. We see him on the cross saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right, quoting David in Psalm 22, we see Jesus, the Son of God, second person in the Trinity, being forsaken by his own Father. Why? Because, because he's taking on the penalty that we deserve. He is going through the hell that we deserve. And when we think of Jesus who did this, not because he had to, Right? In John chapter 10, he says, I lay down my life for my sheep. Right? No one makes him lay it down. He willingly, lovingly lays down his life for his sheep. Why? Because he loves his sheep. He loves his people. If you're a child of God, he loves you. He loves me. And as we think of that mercy, as we think of that grace, as we think of what he has done for us, we want to be a living sacrifice. I remember when I was a kid, so I, I was like the kid, you know, who was, I was very skinny, but I had a big head, right? So when I look at pictures of myself, I laugh, right? Because I'm like this little kid, I have a big head. And so I fell a lot on my head. So if you ever look at my forehead, I have a lot of scars up here because I kept on falling on my head. Uh, thankfully, you know, I was a boy, so I don't think my mom was as worried. I think if I was a girl, she probably would have been more worried about it. But one day, I think I was like three or four, I don't know how old exactly I was, I was racing my friends, and I, and I think I was winning. And then, of course, I fell. And I fell on my head. But this time, I don't know what I was doing. I think I was, think, maybe I thought I was Michael Jordan or something, but I had my tongue out. And I, you know, like landed like this, and I cut my tongue in half. It was really bad. And I go home, and I'm crying, I'm bleeding. I think my mom, what a typical Korean mom would do, she yelled at me. Right? What's wrong with you? Why are you bleeding everywhere? And then when she, when she realized what was going on, and she realized I couldn't talk, and she realized all that blood, she said, oh, no, I have to take him to the hospital. My father wasn't home. We, we didn't have a car. And so she just decided to take me, like three or four years old, and my sister, who was one year younger than me, and then she, I think she, the hospital was maybe like 10, 15, 20, I don't know. It was, it was walkable. Not close, but it was a walking distance. 
And then I remember she told me the story. She said, as I was going there, I was carrying your sister. I was holding you, and you were just bleeding so much, and you were crying. And she said, I was so tired. I thought I was going to collapse and die. So I said to my mother, I said, well, then why did you do it? Why did you take me to the hospital? And she said something. I don't remember the exact story. The exact words was in Korean, but it was something like this. She said, pretty much, I would rather die than see my son die. And I was like so touched. I was like, oh, my mom loves me, right, as a kid when I heard that. But then what happens? When you hear that, you, you just have this desire, right, to want to bless your mom, to love your mom more, because you're like, wow, that's the kind of love she has for me. I share this to remind us, you know, a parent's love is amazing, but it's nothing compared to the love of Jesus for his people. He doesn't risk his life. He doesn't become a living sacrifice. He becomes a destroyed sacrifice on the cross because that's how much he loves sinners like us. And so that is the motivation. When I see that love, when I know that gospel, and he continues to love me today, and he will continue to love me for all eternity because I am his, right? I am his, his sheep. And so the commitment is to be a living sacrifice. The motivation is the mercies of God, is the sacrifice of Christ. It is God's grace. It is the gospel. And lastly, worship. The pastor says, appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul is saying, when you make the commitment to be a living sacrifice because you have been moved and changed by the mercies of God, when you live your life in that way, holy and pleasing to God, that is your spiritual Worship. That is your reasonable worship to the Lord. Now, we hear the word worship, and we think of corporate worship. Right? We think of Sunday, coming to church, right? We have Abe leading us in praise, right? You know, we hear a sermon, you know, we have a presider, we have prayers, and we think, oh, worship. Or maybe we think of a retreat, right? We think of a retreat, and we're like, oh, a, f- a few days of concentrated Worship, But the word worship here, it's not just narrowly saying just corporate worship with the people of God, which is obviously very important. It is something that we need to do. But he's also talking about the way I live my life. Worship is everything. Right? The first commandment says to have no other gods before you, but worship God and God alone. And so what is my spiritual worship? It is when I live my life, every minute, every second, 24-7, when I live it for the glory of God, when I am applying the mercies of God, when I'm living as a living sacrifice and saying, God, it's not about me. It is about you. It's not about my desires, my choices. I want to trust you and choose to live my life for your glory to please you. He's saying that is your worship. He's saying your whole life, Don't just reserve it for Sundays. Don't just reserve it for a retreat or a mission trip or some kind of ministry. He's saying your whole life needs to be worshiping God, actively 
applying the gospel into your life and living your life as a living sacrifice for him. But here's the problem again. What do we do? We just kind of carve out little bits of time and say, Lord, this is for you. The rest is for me. But, you know, picture this. Imagine a guy, you know, maybe a guy in college is dating a girl in college. And, you know, let's say he says to his girlfriend, he says, you know, let's say her name is, I don't know, Michelle, right? Let's make up a name. He says, Michelle, I really like you. I think you're great. So every Monday, I will hang out with you. But every Tuesday, I'm going to hang out with Susan. And every Wednesday, I'm going to hang out with Christine. You get my point, right? But he says, but Monday, it's all you. Only you. And if he had a different girl's name for the other six days of the week, Michelle would be angry. I don't want you in my life. I don't need you in my life. No, I want every day to be about me, not just Monday. And that makes sense. But I think we do that to God. We say, God, Sunday. It's only like two hours on Sunday, right? Sunday, three hours on Sunday, Lord. You, it's all about you. But Monday to Saturday, it's all about me. It's insulting. I honestly believe it is insulting to our God, the creator of the universe, when we think, when we live our lives in this way. You know, because the Father said that we are worth it. He sent his son to die for us. His people, Jesus, said we are worth it. And he went to the cross. The question is, is he worth it to me? Is Jesus worth it to me? Do I truly want to live for him? Do I want to be a living sacrifice? Or am I saying, no, you're not really all that worth it? I'm going to close out by a couple examples um, that I think John Piper gives in his book, Desiring God. And I might be butchering it. It's been a while since I read it, but it's the way I kind of remember. He gave these two examples. And the first example is, you know, a, a man, you know, he, I guess he has, he has like a girlfriend. It's Valentine's Day. So he brings, you know, like a dozen roses to her house. And, you know, she opens the door. She's saying, oh, you shouldn't have. And he says to her, Oh, it's my duty, right? It's my job. I'm, I'm supposed to bring you these flowers. How would the young lady feel? She would probably feel insulted, right? Because she wants to hear, I love you, right? I, I couldn't wait to bring you this. Nobody wants to hear, it's my job, it's my duty. Nobody wants to hear that. Then he gives a, a contrasting example of a couple that's been married for like, I think like 30 or 40 years, and and they go out to dinner, and they go dancing, and, you know, it's just beautiful, beautiful scenery. And so she says to her husband of like 30 or 40 years, she says, oh, you didn't need to do all this, but I know you love me. And he says to her, you know, very romantically, there's no place I'd rather be than right here with you. It's out of a, out of a Korean, Korean drama, I feel like. And, you know, it's, it's romantic, right? It's going to melt her heart. If you think about it. You know, our, our Savior is on the cross dying for us. And he's pretty much saying to us, there's no place I'd rather be than right here for you. Because this is how much I love you. This is my commitment to you. And when we know that love, when we know that commitment, that sacrifice, 
How can we not want to worship him? How can we not want to say, Lord, I want to offer my life as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable, pleasing to you, because you also are worth it to me. And I pray that will be our hearts, our desires. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We think of this passage, this call to be, com- to be committed to be a living sacrifice. Father, we pray as we think upon your mercies and your love, as we think upon the gospel, that we would joyfully desire to worship you by being a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto you. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.